OMG, have you had an OMG moment this week? I wonder if you have. It's used in text, it's used in transcriptions of messages and Facebook and all of this thing. It's a common expression in our kind of language. I was once coming back from a fishing experience with a person who wasn't really into God at all. And we're having that kind of conversation in the car. And he said, I'm not into the God thing. I don't think there is a God out there. That's all there is is here and now kind of thing. And I said, really? Have you never had a religious experience in your entire life? And he said, actually, come to think of it, there was one. I said, really? He said, yeah. One day I was fishing on the Goulburn River with me and my friend. We were sort of waist deep up in water. And it was one of those beautiful balmy Sunday, sort of sunny afternoons. And it was when the air was really still and the sun was setting. It was just that dusk kind of feel. And so there was this flock of ducks that just flew into the valley where I was. And simultaneously, they all landed on the water together. It was like that hush moment, the oh my moment. He said, I looked at my friend and my friend looked at me. And it was kind of like that little religious kind of experience. I guess that's the closest I've ever been. I said, there you go. There are different things in our world and in our lives where we have OMG moments, not just for moments of surprise, but for moments of real depth as well. You know, most Australians, when they tick the census uh, form that comes out every so often, 60 to 70% say, you know, I think there's a God. There's some spiritual being, some higher power. And even many people go, "I, I believe that Jesus was the son of God or that he walked on water, that he existed, that he even rose from the dead. Wow. But if you actually ask those people, what do you think all that means and what difference does it make that you might believe in your head that those things might be true about Jesus? I think most of the reaction would be, huh? You mean there's supposed to be more to those kinds of things? You see, the theme we've been unpacking this last month is that it's possible to believe in something, but not necessarily know it intuitively within yourself. And the God who created this world is one who actually creates us and makes us for relationship. The problem with our world is that very early up they said, God, we want to do things our way and pushed God away. But God reached out and reaches out. And for anyone who returns to him, does some of that repenting and confessing and turning to him, it's as though he welcomes you into his kind of family. He dusts you off and he, he gives you this new experience, this new encounter with him. And he gives you a job to do in the world. Not just to twiddle your thumbs, but to partner with him in transforming his world for good. That's part of what our Engaged Sundays are all about. Partnering with God to transform his world for good. Because that's the way he's wired us, he's made us to encounter and experience those things. And so along the way, over this last month, we've been discussing and interacting with a person by the name of John. And he's written a book about the life of Jesus. And John was someone who walked with Jesus, laughed with Jesus, cried with Jesus, felt touched, smelt with Jesus. And at the end of his life, he writes a recording, if you like, a book about the encounters with this man called Jesus. At the start in chapter one, he writes this little summary statement, this little prologue, this plot that goes something like this. The true light, referring to Jesus, which gives light to every human being, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. But the world did not know him. You see, it's possible to believe things about Jesus, but not know him. It's possible to tick on a census, yeah, I think there's a God, but not actually think any more of it. And yet he goes on and he makes this promise. 
He says, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, that is the kind of embrace him deeper than just the believing kind of, the receiving kind of believing, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And John beds us to actually follow with him and have and experience and encounter OMG moments with Jesus along the way so that you too might discover who he is. If you want to follow with us this morning, you can get the version Bible app and John 20. If you've got a Bible, you can travel with this. Otherwise, I'm just going to dive straight in. Soon after Jesus, at the end of John's book, it said that he'd come back to life again and he was with his disciples and they'd all declared, we have seen him come alive, but one was missing and his name was Thomas. And they came to Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, followers of Jesus and said, we have seen him come to life. It's true. And Thomas's response went something like this. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, that's a bit unfortunate, isn't it? Diddy. Now, Thomas, also known as Diddy, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. We've seen him come back to life. And this is what Thomas replied. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. You get that, don't you? I mean, there was no framework that, that Thomas had at all for a dead man coming back to life. In fact, Thomas was one of the first skeptics. One of those people who said, unless I see it myself, I will not believe. I wonder if you're one of those people here this morning. In fact, in the Alpha course on Thursday, I said to the group that was there, what does it take for you to really embrace something and believe it? That kind of embracing, what does it take for you? Some said, well, for us, it's I need to see it. I need to touch it. I need to taste it. That's what I need. Others said, you know what? I, I need to actually experience it. If something is true, I've got to be able to experience it deep within myself. Yeah. Someone else said, actually, for me, it's got to have coherence. It's got to actually click with me in some way that makes sense. And so I can collect all that thing up and say, that's what I'm going to believe in. That's what I'm going to follow. And Thomas was one of those first ones who said, like a skeptic, I want to see it. So it goes on and the story goes like this. A week later, so that's a whole week later, after the first followers, after those first disciples had seen Jesus, when they'd been badgering Thomas all throughout the week, we've seen him come back to life. And he said, no, I don't believe that's true. This is what happened. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, and John writes that, and he wants us to know the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Whenever you encounter Jesus after doing a miraculous thing, whenever there's a God moment in the Bible, it always comes with the words, peace. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. It's okay. You are going to be okay. Peace be with you. You see, if some people, they ask, what is a resurrection body like? I mean, how can I believe in the resurrection? And even if it's true, what does a new heaven kind of look like in a resurrected body? Well, this is a perfect picture of what a resurrected state might look like. In Jewish understanding, heaven wasn't some distant place far away. It was a location right here, right now. Another dimension present with us here. And in fact, for them, the idea of, of a resurrected state was kind of like more that, that heaven was close by in another dimension and, and it involved material things. So Jesus has a body, but it can appear and disappear. I mean, what kind of body does that? It can speak and say words and it can be touched and felt and seen, but it can also disappear through walls. That's kind of what like a resurrected body might 
look like. So then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. Wow. You see, Thomas had no framework, if you like, in his understanding or in his mind about a resurrection. You see, he'd seen the Romans do their tricks, their crucifying all the time. And once Romans crucified people, they pretty much stayed crucified. That was it. They were dead. They were in the grave. Nothing else could happen. And so Jesus appears and actually he gives him his first taste and touch sense. He says, you want to see it? Here it is, Thomas. I want you to take your finger and put it in my hands where the nails were. I want you to reach out your hand and put it into my side where, where, where you can actually feel where the spear went. Stop doubting and believe. Heard a story once about a man who'd actually died in a car accident. Well, he thought he was dead. And so they took him to emergency and the, one of the, the uh, admin uh, administration people said, look, you know, you're, you're alive and you're living. It's, it's amazing that you survived the car accident. To which the man said, actually, no, there's no way I could have survived the car accident. I'm dead. And they said, no, no, you're actually alive. That's what you hear in the... No, no. And this conversation went on for a while, so they eventually called a doctor in. And uh, the doctor got frustrated after a similar conversation. There's no way that I could have survived that car accident. Um, but you did, and you're here, and you're alive. And in the end, the doctor said, well, I'll tell you this. Do dead men bleed? He goes, no, I don't think they do. He took a scalpel. He cut the man's hand, a finger, just slit, slit, and, and blood started to come out of his finger. And the man looked down and he said, whoa, what do you know? Dead men do bleed. <laughs> you see, there's, there's something, isn't there, about our human experience that we might be convinced one way and, and even then, there's, it's hard to convince someone otherwise. And doubting Thomas, wanting to see something, looked to Jesus. And Jesus said, here you go. You can place your finger in my hands. You can place your hand in my side. It's actually me. I've come back to life. And the conversation goes on. And we record the first literal, accurate, true, oh my God experience in the entire history of the world. This is where it comes from, even when people didn't know. Thomas replies and he says this, My Lord and my God. O-M-G. Did you know that? This is where it comes from. Mm. O-M-G. Oh my God. You see, at this moment, Jesus could have said, Oh, you've taken it a step too far, Thomas. I'm just a man. You can call me Lord and Master, but not God. But he doesn't. He receives him. And he bends down his knee and it says that Thomas worships him, my Lord and my God. This is Thomas's OMG moment, his movement from believing ideas and thoughts about what the disciples have said to actually knowing within. Some years ago, I was at a friend's place, and they had a friend who was with them. 
We were talking about the football and this particular person by the name of Nick said, ha, one of my friends, George, he actually works at Etihad Stadium, known then, and uh, he works in the special car parking area, car park number two. Has anyone been to Etihad? I think they have one and three, but two is the kind of the special one, yeah? All the special people go into car park two. And he said, if any of you are ever going to the football, just give me a call up and uh, I'll let George know and you can just go on in there and enjoy the premium car parking. Well, a few weeks later, I was actually going to the football. I was going to see Collingwood play another team, and I was going to cheer for Collingwood to lose. And uh, other people who I had uni friends with me, they were going to cheer for Collingwood to win. And I said, actually, I think we've got some car parking that we could set up. And they said, yeah, really? I said, yeah. You see, I went to a friend's place, and they had a friend by the name of Nick. And Nick had a friend by the name of George, and he said that if we just turned up and, and mentioned that there was a connection, that we could get into car park too. Yeah, So I remember driving there, and these are my uni friends going, are you for real, Troy? These conversations don't usually this kind of connect. I said, no, 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 trust me, I think this is legit. So I'm driving along past Car Park 3 on the concourse there, and I pull over into the section where you have to wait to go into Car Park 2. And you've got all these security attendants yeah, on Car Park 2, and the boom gates, and, and they're looking at us in my car. It was a little bit lesser quality at that time, and they're, they're looking at my car, and they're like, no, nah, I think you need to go to car park one, don't let this, and, I, and I'm looking across the road going, no, no, car park two, and they're going, no, no, car park one, this way, yeah, and my friends are in the back going, Troy, this is embarrassing, we're going to be embarrassed, you know, and, and I remember pulling right in, driving up, and the car park attendant stuck his head in the window, and I said, you wouldn't happen to know a George, would you? He said, guys, welcome. <laughs> Glad you're here. He said, gentlemen, I want you to have a great day at the football. Boomgate went up, drove straight in where all of the fancy hoi polloi people are. We had a premium time and all of a sudden doubting turned to believing just like that. Now, I want to say two things about this. Number one, I don't think Nick's working. No, George is not working there anymore. He probably got caught. So you cannot use that one at car park two. You could probably try it, but I don't think it'll work. The second thing is, is that that's how it works with Jesus. You see, if you know the son, you get to know the father. You see, if you know the son and you place your trust in him, like Thomas has just done, the boom gates are lifted to God's heaven. You're welcomed into the premium seats. You're dusted off. You're actually given a a fresh kind of lease of life, a new forgiveness, a new life with God. And you enter into his family and he welcomes you as one of his own. OMG. The conversation went on and went something like this. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet who have believed, Thomas. Blessed are the ones in 50 years or 100 years or even 2,000 years who will read these words and a result of your testimony, seeing and touching and feeling will also come to the conclusion, my Lord and my God. So I wonder if you're here this morning and you even anticipated that you might meet with God this morning when you came. Wonder if you've just arrived and you're sitting here, you're kind of ruminating on the week that was or the wondering about the week that could be. And you haven't even thought, could I actually meet with God this morning in this place? The power of this story is that Jesus wants to reveal himself to you and to others.
not just once so you can dust your hands, believe it in your head and then move on, but so that you will actually know and that kind of experience and that relationship will carry you through to guide your thoughts, the things you give your hands to, the way you view the world, that will reach into your life and perform a work of healing, of wholeness, new perspective, new vision. You see, many people, they look at Jesus and they conclude, you've come to rob us of life. But Jesus said, no, no. I came to give you life. There's many people who put their hands out and say, God, you can just come that close and no further. But Jesus reaches in and stands before human beings like you and I and invites us to not just believe an idea about him, but to know him. I wonder if that's you this morning. Short time ago, one of my children had a science project. I asked them about it because I'm a bit of a doting dad and I like to help. Any dads here in the room that just like to help, you know, like to help a little bit? And they came home and they told me about this science project. And I used to be a phys ed science teacher, so that's kind of my ballpark, right? And I'm like, whoa, that's, that's great. I would love to help you with your science project. And it was about the, the planets. And it involved the moon and the sun and the earth. I'm like, I can do that. Let's make a project. And one of my children who was doing the project kind of said, Dad, no, but out. Not those words, but no, I've got this covered. Not really interested in the science project, not really interested in you helping me out, but that's just thank you. You can do a little bit, but not much. That's, you know that, kind of? The next day, she took her science project to school, and at the end of the day, she returned home with her science project, and everything had changed. I said, why have you brought it home again? She said, Dad, you should have seen some of the science projects. Some of them had stars that were translucent. And glowed in the dark. Some of the kids had like lights that shone from like the sun beaming out into the, into the interterrestrial beings and all of these different plants. And it was awesome. I said, what have you brought yours home for? Because we need to improve it, Dad. Would you like some help? Sure, like some help, Dad. So we went out into the shed and we, 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 we started to work on that project. <clears throat> We spray painted and we cut out things and we, uh, no pyrotechnics, but we constructed this, this magnificent, this awesome. I made this amazing, we made this amazing project. A few weeks later, she came back and she said, Dad, you know that project? I said, what did we get? (laughs) She said, we got an A. (laughs) Don't tell anyone. That's often the way we think about God, isn't it? God, I don't need your help. I've got this. Not really interested. Don't really care. Why would you bother anyway? We don't realize that Jesus wants to be involved in the everyday experiences of our world because he's not just someone who claimed to be God, but if you think about it, if he was 
God, then it means that there is hope in our world and that there's a God who wants to be active in our lives and wants us to call upon him and so much so that he came to earth to live in a human body, to die on a Roman cross, to rise to new life again so that anyone places their trust in him, it's as though he will breathe new life into them, that he will blow his spirit into us, that will renew us from the inside out so we won't just have to believe in God, we will want to follow him and give our hearts and our hands and our minds to him afresh because he has filled us earthlings with his very spirit and that has changed everything. John finishes his book by saying Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. I wonder this week if you've held your hands out like this to Jesus and said, let me do my worrying on my own. And all along he's been saying, I'm the one who came in flesh. I want to come again for you in your situation right now. Chris is going to come up, the band are going to come up and they're going to play some quiet music for a while. Because I thought today we might finish off in a slightly different way might give you an opportunity, if you like, to respond to what you've been hearing and seeing and, and maybe feeling over the last four weeks, an OMG experience. Early followers of Jesus, when they gathered together, it says the night before he was betrayed, he took some bread and he took a cup and he, he ate and he drank and he said, this is a new covenant. This juice represents my blood. This, this bread represents my body. It's given for you. And ever since then, wherever followers of Jesus have gathered or even people checking him out, they've kind of been familiar with this thing called a communion. So we thought that it might be appropriate this morning as we finish off our series. That as people have been hearing the OMG moment from Thomas, that where you are, you might want to get up out of your chair. And there's four stations this morning, one there, one at the rear, one at the rear and one over there. That as these guys quietly play, that you might want to, as a kind of a response of thanks to Jesus, you might want to hop up, go and grab some bread and some juice, go back to your chair, and then if you'd like to eat and drink as a sign of worship, as a sign of thanks. In fact, there's a card, there's a silver card there, and if this communion thing is new to you and you want to draw close to Jesus then I'd invite you to go and take one of those cards and it has an explanation of what it's about. And you can read through that and you can participate as well if that's something that you would like to do. Bron and I are also going to be here and just sitting on these stools. If you'd like to receive some prayer, because you'd actually like to have an OMG moment, not promising that it'll be a Thomas one, but just inviting God to work in your life then you might want to quietly come up to us and we'll pray. Others of you might want to just sit and reflect as the music's being sung. In fact, this particular song is powerful. It's called The Creed. In the early centuries when ideas and rumors about Jesus were being spread, 
And people were wondering about his identity, who he really was. Followers of Jesus gathered to kind of nut out what they always felt to be true. In the early 300s, when Constantine came to power, he got a first group of bishops and followers together. It was 318 and they gathered together and they, they all tried to nut out not who they thought Jesus was, but what had always been passed down to them. You see, there was a man by the name of Arius, an Egyptian person, a member of a church who started to spread a rumor that Jesus wasn't really God. He was close to, but not. He was made by God. He was more human than God-like. In fact, he was subordinate to. And all of the leaders from the, particularly the Western church came together and they said, what do we know to be true about Jesus? You see, just a decade before Diocletian, the other emperor, had set out a state persecution where they persecuted specifically followers of Jesus. If they hadn't killed them, they'd pluck out an eye. They'd dismember, if you like, a, a part of their, their joints and their bodies so they could look disfigured or they would brand them in visible places to mark them out. Follower of Jesus. So some of the people who actually came to that first meeting in Nicaea, they came wearing the branded hallmarks of persecution on their bodies. So when I first heard this song called The Creed two years ago, and some of my children said, I don't really care for this song. I said, you have no idea. You have no idea that centuries ago people bled and died for statements like this of belief. Wounded bodies, maimed bodies, dragging themselves to say, we will be persecuted because this is what we believe to be true about Jesus. Fully God, fully man, he came. So as you hear these words, you might want to sit and just listen. If you want to participate in the communion time, please do. Eat and drink yourself together. If you'd like some prayer, come down here. But this is your time.